Hey, welcome Facebook guys. We have a very special episode of Leveling Up Podcast on this beautiful Thursday morning. It's a thriving Thursday as always. We have a special guest. His name is Eric Counts. Uh, he's been my mentor for man almost four years now. I've been part of this amazing community and he has a wealth of experience in, in credit. Uh, he is a wonderful uh, example of what happens in business when you don't jump the creek. That's something that he always talks about, uh, making sure that you take the right steps consistently, and then you can build your credibility. And today, I really want to dive into credibility in life, in business, and how to build it right and not skip steps because he is, he's got a model that allows us to, to really go through and say, hey, anybody can do this if you do it right. You don't skip the steps. You don't go from A to yeah. Z. You say, you know what? I'm going to go from A to B to C and you do the right things consistently. So welcome everybody. We've got Gilbert James. We've got Valerie, Louise, Chuck, and uh, all you wonderful people on, on Facebook. Uh, Cassipelia. I don't know exactly how to say it. I'm so sorry. Cassiopeia. Yeah. Cassiopeia. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So Eric, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I would love to hear your backstory. How did you sure. get into being the chief credit nerd at creditnerds.com. So uh, awesome. Well, you know, that is actually a funny story. Um, I, I was poor, right? That's what happens is you're poor and you look around and you get tired of being poor one day. And mm. I was, uh, I had a friend that was a realtor and my realtor friend was doing real estate and, and, you know, he wasn't just a realtor. He was also doing some investing, some properties, some rentals, and he would pay me uh, you know, he'd say, Hey, Eric, I need this tile ripped up out of this kitchen in this, in this rental I'm doing, I'll give you a hundred bucks, you know, and I needed a hundred bucks. So I was like, sure. And then, you know, later on, he'd be like, yeah, I made like 50 grand off that flip. And I'm like, dude, you paid me a hundred dollars. Shut your mouth, you know, shut up. I don't even want to know what you made. And, um, one day we were in the car, we were riding around together and he actually received a phone call from somebody in the credit industry and said, Hey, I'm looking for people in your area to do sales for my company. And, and he said, well, you know, I'm not really interested, but my friend might be, you know, I was raised in that, that life of you always just look for the next job, just, you know, the next, get the next paycheck, look for the next job. And I took that phone call and the guy said, you know, Hey, um, would you be interested in, in, in the credit industry? And I'm going to be honest. No, right. <laughs> Who would be. And, uh, but I did need a job. And something that I have always taken on with myself is when I do and start something new, I, I take it on, you know? And so I started with this credit repair agency as a sales and man, I, I dove in and I started learning and listening and I would read these manuals and books and watch, you know, congressional testimonies. And like, I dove in and, uh, it was because I dove in so heavily, I realized that I had taken a job with one of the bad ones. You know, one of the companies that just were ripping people off and just weren't doing what they promised and they would just make false, you know, guarantees and, uh, and what really did it for me one day is they had a, a, a an employee that they introduced me to this is our new employee, and he is our retention specialist. And his whole job was to take the complaint phone calls and tell the people that, nope, it's going to be next week. It's going to be next month. Don't worry. It's all going to be fine. We, we still hold our promises and you just keep on paying that monthly fee. Just keep paying. So about six months into that job, I, I quit and we started trying to do it on our own. And I went to all the people that I had sold to and said, Hey, I think you got ripped off. 
the best I can do is try to, you know, I can't give you your money back. I only made $50 mm -hmm. and I just tried to give them, you know, what they bought. And before long, we started getting phone calls. Hey, are you helping people with their credit? Hey, are you the one helping people with their credit? And I had no business sense. So I'd say, yeah. And they'd say, can you help me? And I'd say, I guess so. I don't have time for that, but I guess. And then one day I got a phone call and they said, how much does it cost? And I said, what is a fair way? You know, what is a fair, legally compliant way to charge for these services? And, um, and Credit Nerds was born. That was in 2008. So that was the moment where you're like, oh, this isn't just a cool idea. This isn't just a cool service, but you can actually make money doing this. What was that process like going from, hey, I, I'm doing this as a, as a friend or a service to actually creating some continuity in your, your life and your business to say, this is a service that people want, that's needed, and that I can actually do, uh, do a service that people will pay for. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more of that thought process. Um, the thought process there really sprung from, yet again, another phone call I received. We we didn't have when we started credit nerds we had just over 400 dollars in our bank account mm -hmm. and the reason we had that was because my wife was a waitress and she had worked a double shift the weekend before you know like it was that was all we had and um uh we had started helping a few people and we were making a few bucks and you know that i, I don't know if you know that but there's that point in sometimes people's lives where they make nothing and then the next thing you know, they're making five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a week. And they, I thought we were just top of the world. Yeah. You know, like I had it, I was like, dude, we're making it. And it was still just dollars and something that I, I understood, but I didn't really grasp yet was the credit industry side of it. And then I got this phone call and I, I answered my phone, you know, hello. And there were, there were keys jingling. And I was like, hello. And the woman came on and I had had this client who had left an abusive relationship, uh, very, very physically, you know, physically and emotionally abusive relationship. And she was terrified and she was scared and she didn't have any finances of her own and she didn't have any credit of her own and she didn't have a way to leave. And we had helped her build credit and we had helped her do these things. And she called me one day and she said, uh, do you know what that is? And I said, I don't. And she said, that's the keys to the house. Um, and she said, uh, wow, give me, sorry. She said, I just wanted you to know that my kids and I are going to be safe tonight. That was it for me. I was like, wow, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life. Uh, she didn't say, hey, I just wanted to call and let you know we got the four bedroom instead of the three or, hey, just want to let you know I got that new Chevrolet. You know, she called to say my kids and I are going to be safe. And, uh, and I didn't realize how much your finances and your and your credit and and having those things in order really do allow you to create a lifestyle of safety that you can feel comfortable in wow thank you i i think if all our business is doing is making money not much of a business but when you can yeah. make an impact like that you can help someone feel safe and actually be safe i i love this is something you've taught me in the in years past that cushions save lives i think that's cushions. one of the things that uh, that credit is so valuable for. Can you talk to that point a little bit more? Cause I, I, I want to make sure that people understand that. I love that. Absolutely, man. Um, a cushion. So I think about, we do when, when you go ride a motorcycle, 
Brigham, are you a motorcycle rider? I'm not. I'm not myself. <laughs> but you know, we've got friends, Scott, and all the guys that yeah. you know that that ride the the motorcycles. Bob, everybody that does those things, it looks so fun. Right. I'm a big old wuss, <laughs> so I'm scared of the motorcycles. Uh, I've ridden a couple of times, but but when you go ride a motorcycle, um, what's it a good idea to do? Put on a helmet. Put on a helmet, yeah, for sure. Put on a helmet, man. Put on some protective clothing. When you jump in a car, right? Now, I do love my fast cars. You know, I'm a fast car kind of guy. Um, but, you know, when I'm, I got a chance to go out and do 175 around the track in Vegas. And you think I wasn't, you know, wearing a helmet and a seatbelt and like having, we have these protections in place because we all fall. Hmm right? You're all, everybody's going to fall. And when you fall, it really comes down to, do you have something softening that fall? Do you have a cushion? And whether that's in something physical, like, you know, being protective of your skull, or whether that's something, you know, a little more financial, like being protective of your retirement plans or being protective of your income, being protective of what is going to happen if you have a bad month in your business. <clears throat> And I see so many businesses fail because one or two bad months come along. And when the pandemic happened and I'm seeing people go out of business four and six weeks in, six weeks into the pandemic and people are going out of business, it was because they didn't have a cushion. They didn't have something sitting there waiting that says, hey, just in case, here's your helmet, here's your seatbelt, Here's the airbag. Here's the protection. Here's that, you know, thick leather jacket that you were wearing that helps you slide or all of those things. We do those things physically to protect ourselves. But for some reason, a large portion of the country just does not do those things financially to protect themselves. That that's such a great point. And one of the things I I, I think is really important with that, guys, is if if we don't have that protection, what are we we leaving ourselves open to? Like you said people can go out of business in six weeks. That, Absolutely. That's scary to be six weeks away from broke. And guys, I'm not talking about like Jeff's lawn care service, right? I'm not talking about like a guy that just runs it. I'm talking about major businesses, large revenue businesses. I mean, I think, and please don't quote me on this exactly, but it was six or eight weeks or so into the pandemic and uh, the cheesecake factories filing bankruptcy. Lose, missing out on their lease payments on their buildings. Like it's just that fast that, um, and guys, you're going to have, here's what I talk about. If you're going to ride motorcycles, you're going to lay one down someday. If you drive fast cars, you're going to hit something someday. If you do anything that you do, even if you just walk, if you go for a jog, guess what? You're going to fall down one day. Everybody falls down. And it's not the embarrassment of saying my business struggled. Guys, my business struggled hard through the pandemic. I was built all around speaking events, right? Think about that. My entire business model was built around going and speaking in front of audiences and then the pandemic hits. And if we wouldn't have had some pretty significant cushions in place, we would have failed too. But instead, we, we made it through the pandemic. I never laid off a single employee. I never cut hours. We never missed a bill. We, we made it. It was hard but we made it through because we had cushions, financial cushions in place. And without those, man, it is a, uh, it is a quick trip to the bottom when you just all revenue stops for a couple of months and uh, it's tough to recover. 
Uh, absolutely. And I think if I can even shift slightly from what, what this topic is, because I do think that having these cushions are essential. One of the things that, that you've been able to go from, from the beginning of not having any credibility in your business saying, I've got 400 bucks in my bank account to right now having that cushion. Can you talk to us a little bit about that process of building business credit, building your credibility, building your name and letting others see that you're serious about your business and you're able to generate revenue and, and make this something worthwhile. Go ahead. Sure. Um, can I give a personal slash really honest answer to that instead of Absolutely. the podcast answer? Sure. Learn your business. Mm. Learn your business. Um, the biggest thing that I think in my personal opinion of a lot of business owners that I see is they do their business, but they don't know their business. Uh, and what I mean by that is, guys, we've got to read, we've got to learn, we've got to watch videos, we have to go to events, we have to go to trainings, we have to know our business inside and out. And what really builds credibility, uh, in my personal opinion, is actually being credible. If you are you actually credible, or are is it a show that you're putting up to say, Oh, no, I'm this or I'm that. I don't mind that, you know, I get it. Fake it till you make it. I understand the concept of it. But while you're faking it to make it, do everything in your power to stop faking. Mm. Whatever your business is, if your business is in the credit industry like mine, then by George, you better understand the FCRA inside and out. And you better understand the FDCPA and you better really read them and, and, and cross-reference them with other laws and understand how they work together and watch the congressional testimonies and, and listen to what people are saying in the industry and learn it. If your business is in real estate, learn it. If your business is in drop shipping, learn it. Understand your business and understand uh, how you do what you do more than just that you do what you do. How do you do it? How does it work? Why does it work? Why are you the person to make it work? And if the answer is just because I have a logo, then you're, you're gonna fall. The answer yeah. has to be, well, because I may not be the best, but close. You know what I mean? I know my business inside and out. And uh, there are people that I go to for credit advice in the world, right? There are people that I know that if I'm questioning something, um, I would call them. And one day, something that really set it off for me is one of those people called me and asked me a question. Somebody that was a, a you know, like an employee of Equifax had called me and asked me a question about credit. And it was a very in-depth question, don't get me wrong. And, uh, and they were just like, you know, I was just looking for your thoughts, Eric. And I was like, there it is, right? When other people seek you out, mm -hmm. um, it's because you have something valuable for them. And we humans use each other, guys, that's okay, use me. That's what I'm here for, I'm here to be used up. And if, if that allows me, um, um, if that allows me the the ability to create a lot of value in the world, awesome, right? Use me up. And if that's where my value lies, is in is in the stuff that I know. So know your business. Mm. Learn. I love that. My father-in-law, he he says, know what you do and do what you know. Yeah. And I, I love how I think it that was, was a way easier way to set it 
than yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. And it's so true. We we need to know what we do and know our business so well that when someone says, Hey, can you do this? You know exactly if that is a something you can fulfill and over deliver on or not. And it's okay to say, you know what, that is not part of my business, but here's a referral or this is part of it. And you know, 100%. Yep. Best way to be competent is actually, or to be confident is actually to be competent. And I, I think actually going and doing the work to know what you do and never stop learning, never stop progressing. That is, that is the business mindset. That's that idea of saying, I'm never going to stop getting better. Because who who we talk to as far as Eric counts today is going to be different than in a month from now because of your experience level, because of the things you go and learn, the people you talk to, those conversations, all of this compounds on each other. So Eric, one of the, the things that I'm always impressed with about you is how uh, how diverse your skill set is. And I'm I'm curious because everybody has their own personality. Everyone has their own things. And not everyone shows them. I know that you are a great musician and you like to do a little bit of stand up. You, you, you medium, have some great medium musician, <laughs> medium musician. Yeah. Uh, how do you allow your own personality to resonate with your business so that you don't become a commodity and you can mm -hmm. become uniquely you? Um, wow. What a, is this therapy? You're welcome. Uh, what, a, what a tough, <laughs> deep question uh my answer to that is going to uh, it's gonna sound like a like a cop-out answer don't try to be you just be you mm. it's because if you're trying to just be you then that then you're not right if you're like well i have to well i want this to be me i want this i want to be like this uh my answer is i i kind of i hate to say i don't try to be me I just do be me. So I just answer the questions the way that they're presented to me. I, I do what I like to do. I actually enjoy the helping people. I enjoy the speaking events I get to do. I, I love doing the different things that I do. And then my second answer to that is when you find something that you want to be you, do it and, and practice. Mm -hmm. uh, practice in your business. Uh, I'm, by the way, I'm only a good pianist to people that think that they, or that don't know how to play the piano. So my, my joke is people that don't know how to play the piano think that I can, and people that do know how to play the piano know for a fact that I cannot, uh, <laughs> because I just can play around on the piano. I can, it sounds like I'm having a good time and we're all singing along or whatever, but it's mostly just chords and learning how to do some basic, you know, uh, basic stuff but I practice and I sit at my piano probably 30, 45 minutes a day because it relaxes me. But um, I don't care if it's, if it's phone calls you're making, practice them, practice them over and over and over. You need to know your business and know your process and then practice that stuff. And when you practice different things, you can get good at, at almost anything. My child, I've got an 18 year old boy right now, just turned 18 last week. Wow. And uh, he came to me between his junior and senior year and he said, dad, I'm going to join the band in school. And I was like, buddy, that's not how it works. You don't join it. And he goes, dad, dad. And he stopped me. And I felt so silly because I realized that I was shutting him down. And he goes, dad, dad, dad. He goes, it's not like I'm going to be the best. I just, my friends are in the band and I want to join the band. If I don't make it, I don't make it. If I do great. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? That was me. That was my awful parent moment. 
of shutting him down because that's not how it works or you're not ready or you're not good. And instead that little dude spent every day out in the garage practicing. And sure enough, his senior year made, made marching band, made concert band. He's in the jazz band uh, because he spent hours out there practicing. And uh, I mean, he probably practiced more this past summer to join the band than half the other kids have practiced the time they've been in band. He was sitting out there three, four hours a day. And sure enough, now he, he made band. I love it. And sometimes you have to compress those time frames and say, I'm not necessarily going to be as good at, as someone else that has that natural talent, but are you going to put in the energy and effort yep. to have the skill get developed? Yeah. You may be better than me, yeah. but I'm going to work harder than you. Absolutely. In business, that's so true as well. Yep. Like for me, I was not even a little bit comfortable with, with business and that mindset because I was a theater guy. Mm -hmm. I came from the creative world. I love uh, having, having great conversations and making people laugh and all this, these fun things uh, with theater. But when I came down to, uh, to our community, I, I had to kind of unpack all these different ideas and figure out how I step into them. And it wasn't easy at the beginning because I didn't have any talent there, but I said, I'm willing to learn. And yeah. I came to it with an open hand and saying, Hey, you know what? I, I want to, I want to learn and I'm learning. I'm not done learning. I'm learning right now. I'm in the process. So I I'm curious, Eric, what is something that, that if you had someone that was brand new came to you and they said, Hey, what is the advice you can give me as far as a business to be successful? What would you give them as, as advice to say, go from zero or $400 in the bank account to having a successful business like yourself. Uh, you started with it and, and I'll bring it right back to that place is don't jump the Creek. Mm. Um, when you're starting your business, start your business, uh, treat it like a business. I don't care if you're making 300 bucks a month, treat it like a business because 300 bucks a month becomes five becomes a thousand becomes 10,000 becomes a hundred thousand. Um, Bob, Bob Snyder, who we, most of us know, uh, Bob has a great story and mine's not to the level of Bob's yet. I'll be very, very clear. Mine's not to the level, but when you go and you make that first, you know, hundred thousand dollar month, you know, your first hundred thousand dollar year. Great. And then your first hundred thousand dollar month. And you're like, Whoa. And I had that chance to have my first, you know, hundred thousand dollar day one time. And, uh, it, it's because you don't skip steps. If you're constantly skipping the steps, then what happens is when you make it to that higher level, the people there, they know that you skipped the steps. Mm. The people that are at that level, they know when they ask you for certain things or when they ask to see something or when they ask you about your P&Ls and they ask you about your business or they ask you about something and you don't have a real solid answer for that. I know it's silly, but to think about, but think about Shark Tank, you can mm -hmm. see the ones that they go on there and, and they'll ask them a question about their business and they don't know the answer. That's a, um, that's a real quick turnoff for people at a high level. So you need to be understanding, doing your reports, looking at your business each month and going, Hey, did I do better this month or last month? Did I do better this day or last week? How is my business doing? Am I projecting up? Am I trending up? Am I trending down? Do I need to make some changes? If I added in any advertising, what am I doing in my business and how is that reflecting a change? because change only comes because you changed something. 
So I see people going, well, I'm going to change it this year. I'm going to do something different this year. And I go, great. What are you going to do different? I'm not sure yet. And that's okay, right? I'm not sure yet, but I'm going to do different. And then the year will happen. And did, did anything change this year? Nope. Same as last year. And I'm like, well, what did you change? You have to do something different. And the only way you're going to be able to know what to change or where to change is by diving in and knowing your business. So my business advice is understand your business, know what happens, know your processes, know your procedures, know your brand, know who you are, understand consistency. Guys, consistency of message, your ads need to match how you've got your site set up, needs to match how you talk to you know people. It needs to match. You need a consistency of message. And, um, and I see that just missing in a lot of places. I love that. Now, one of the things I, I love what you brought up was understanding your processes, your, your class in, in our profits was mm. the thing that helped me improve my systems with short-term rentals more than any of the short-term rental classes combined, because it's that next level of, if this happens, then this happens. If this happens, then this happens and getting yeah. those workflows in place and using the sticky notes, like, yeah. I, Making the I'm toast. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the thought process of why automation is is important in, sure. in your business? And maybe tell us a story a little bit of how you discovered that that automation was so important. So um, when I started my business, uh, and, and like I said, 2008, we had, Stephanie and I had rented this little 15 by 15 office. It was a hundred bucks a month. That was mm -hmm. our 15 by 15 office. And uh, it was just us. And we had a very low um, population. Like the town literally has 700 people in it. That's the population of the town that, that we started in. Um, and I realized right away early on that there weren't going to be enough people in my town to support my business, right? That's just not going to be enough. So I started seeking out other, other towns. You know, I would drive an hour over to this town, drive over here, drive over there and try to do speaking. And, and as I would do that, I was, I was running around with notebooks, writing down people's information and taking business cards and writing stuff on the back. And, and I just didn't have a way to say, Oh, absolutely. We'd love to help you put in your info right here. I didn't have a way to say, fill out this form, go to this site really quickly. Um, and once I started doing that, I was, we started getting way more customers because right there in the room, when I would speak to people, I would say, Hey, fill this form out. And then they were filling a form out, but then somebody had to go check that form and somebody had to go log on to see if there were submissions. And then, well, what happens if somebody forgets that? And what happens if somebody doesn't do their job that day? And so instead I started building into that form. This was, I know this is so, so basic, <laughs> please hear me out, but do remember this was, you know, 2000, this was 16 years ago. So I started building into that form that it would send me an email every time that somebody filled it out and then, oh, wait, well, now I want this next thing to happen. I want somebody to get a task to do something. And we started looking for softwares that would, that would do that. And it wasn't, I mean, they weren't easy to find or cheap. And um, we ended up building a credit repair software. And uh, as I was building it, I kept thinking, well, how much of this work can we get the software to do? How much of the work of the process can we get the computer to do? And I say a lot in my classes and in my trainings that computers aren't smart. They're, they're dumb. Computers are dumb. People are very, very smart. And a computer is only as effective as the person that programmed 
those processes or programmed that computer. So when uh, we started working, I thought that it was all the computers and I would just, all I need is a software to exist. And then I had one and it didn't make it any better. And it wasn't until yet again, I dove in and learned that software top to bottom um, and really started building and, and creating processes and say, well, if they don't respond to this within X number of days, wouldn't it be great if this next thing happened? When that thing happened, wouldn't it be great if the next person in the, in the chain was notified that they had something to do? Wouldn't it be great if, if they didn't do that within four days, it notifies my manager to say, hey, so-and-so isn't doing their job. You got to check up on this. And what we built was we built in all of these uh, kind of checks and balances of operations where stuff happens. And, uh, and they finally, if, if nothing happens and none of this stuff happens, we have a section in our software that we call the black hole. And yes. if nothing changes for a set number of time, then they just fall into this black hole. And that black hole just starts blasting me messages going, hey, this is wrong. This person isn't moving. This person isn't getting their calls. This person isn't, you know, so um, it's just checks and balances of making sure that it's not get your memory out of your business. If a section of your business relies on you remembering that section is going to struggle. That's an awesome little soundbite. Get your memory out of your business. Yep. Humans suck at memory guys. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yep. So maybe give us one tip on how to get that memory out of our business and into the processes. Um, Stop trusting. Excuse <laughs> me. Do not cut this out of context. Okay. Uh, stop trusting yourself to remember. Mm. Just own it right away and go, I'm not going to remember. I'm not going to remember to do this and put somebody uh, mm. whose a job it is to remember, right? Or a computer's system in place to remember. And if I've set myself a task, if I set, you know, I got reminders for the podcast today, right? Like you reminded me, why did you remind me? Well, because you knew that people forget stuff. That's what it is. Hmm. So you've got reminders in place. That's what I'm telling you is put reminders in place, put event reminders, put, you know, um, uh, podcast reminders, uh, phone call, touch base. If I've got a customer, wouldn't it be great if we made sure that we called our customer every round of process and just talk to them about their, their progress so far, talk to them about what's next, talk to them about what to expect, and then make that next thing happen. So I do a training on customer service and the training is, if you really want to give great customer service, the best thing to do is tell your customer exactly what's going to happen and then make that happen. Hmm. It's tell them what's gonna happen and then make sure that that's what happens because you can get over a lot of stuff. People will get over, they'll get over, you know, uh, the wrong conversation. They'll get over mistakes. They'll get over stuff. They will. Businesses aren't perfect guys, but what doesn't get over what they won't almost forgive you for is forgetting about them. Hmm. If you forget about your customers and forget that they exist and you don't reach out and you don't do the process and you don't do the steps, then they're going to go somewhere else. And then you forget about them and they forget about you. Forget about it. Yeah, you, you forget about wanna, it. Forget about it. No, you definitely want to make sure that you take that memory out, get it on paper. I, I think I, I heard this from from you in your class at some point that you need to actually write it down 
and figure out, is this the most efficient use of this process? Because if we don't write it down, then we, we screw it up. Yeah, let me see this. Write it down. Love this. These are your notes on your own business. These like, are my notes. Yeah. These are this, my notes on my business. I've got this notebook and this one and this one and this one over here. And I write everything down, even if it's just going through and doing a list and, and making sure that I'm make, but you know, this person, I need to make sure to do this, this, I need to do this. I need to do this. When I'm having conversations with people, I, I just write them down. And that way, when I'm done, I can go drop it into my, like Michelle says, old school style. That's mm -hmm. how I'm very tactile when I'm on the phone or when I'm doing something, I write it all down. But the next step is that way, when I'm done with that conversation, I take all of this and put it digitally. Now I go in and add notes. I'm going in and I'm, I'm creating the processes that I needed to remind myself to do. Um, but I love writing things down. I think there's something, uh, there's a connection between when you write something down and learning it and memorizing it and understanding it. So I am a big fan of writing things down. Yeah, there's an expression, how jishing buru lanbito in Mandarin, which means if you actually write something down, your memory expands. This yeah. idea that it doesn't matter how faint the ink is, the faintest of ink is better than the brightest memory is the exact translation. That was a beautiful way to say that. I love how this is a great podcast where I'll say something and then you just say it better well, than me. Like, <laughs> why am I the guest here? Brigham, let me ask you a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome, Eric. <laughs> now, um, one of the things I, I also really appreciate about you is your willingness to simplify things. Uh, you, you do this so well in, I mean, you, you teach in all of our different classes uh, that if a customer is confused, they will not they stop. act. They won't do yep. anything. So in your business, could you give us an example or a story of how you discovered that principle of like, oh, a confused customer doesn't act and help us know what is the messaging or, or the things that, that help us understand how to simplify so they can I will tell you uh, how I'm going to answer this question is with probably my second or third favorite email that our business sends. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of really fun ones that we like to send that are that are special use case. But uh, we would realize that we would start a customer and it would be going. And in the credit repair process, there's times that you just have to wait. There's nothing else to do, right? There's just nothing else to do. So around two weeks in between the, when we would file disputes and then the 30 days that it takes to get responses, a couple of weeks in, we'd start getting phone calls and people were, Hey, you know, nothing's happening. What's going on. And we realized that, well, they just weren't, I don't want to say they weren't listening, but they weren't right. When we would say the next the process is going to be 30 days, nothing's going to happen. I need you to be aware that nothing is going to happen. And uh, they just wouldn't hear it. So we started sending an email out at 14 days after somebody's going through our process, we send an email out that says, Hey, Brigham, I uh, just wanted to reach out and say, hi, there's you're in the middle of your dispute period. There's nothing left to do, but wait another couple of weeks. But we just wanted to stay in touch. That email alone changed people's perceptions. Uh, and now, you know, emails, and of course, that was email days, but now emails and texts and Facebook messages and messenger and those types of things. Mm. Now it's, can I just remind them that they're okay, make them feel safe. 
make them feel comfortable and confident in your in your business that you know what you're doing and they will relax enough to think that okay i've got that covered but if you don't make sure that they are understanding as best as possible what the process is then they're going to be confused they're going to be upset they're going to want to complain so the the answer is transparency and honesty and just say like hey this is what's going to happen over the next 30 days it's going to feel like nothing's going on but just know that what we're doing is we've got a legal requirement to wait 30 days for those creditors to respond during that period i'll reach out to you a couple of times to let you know that we're good but there's nothing and once we started explaining exactly what to expect to the mm -hmm. customer then they let their guard down a little bit they would calm they would feel like, you know what? Okay, I've got that covered. I love it. And that message was not complicated, but it changed everything as far as yep. your customer service during that 30-day period. I think yep. that that's a great example. Thank you it so says, much. <laughs> the silliness of the email, it says, it says uh, there's nothing left to do but wait. We just wanted to say hi. So dot, 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 hi. And it says... <laughs> <laughs> and it says, we just want to keep in touch. Don't make it awkward. It just, I love it. Silliness. Cause that's our, our company brand is we don't want to, I don't want to take it quite so serious. You're already in a stressful situation with struggling with credit or finances or money to starting your business. We, it already is a little of a struggle, right? So we want to try to calm that down a little bit and make it a little bit more fun of a process. I think that that's one way that you tie in your personality and your branding into this. Yeah. yeah, that was a great example. It doesn't have to be over the top crazy things that you're doing. It can be as simple as that little email that Eric sent. I, I love yep. that. Thank you. Um, one of the other things I think would be really interesting to talk about is as you have developed into who you are today, what is maybe one book or one uh, class or one thing that you have put yourself through to be able to say, I am different now because of that experience. Do you have a, a book or an idea that you'd like to share with, with our group? Say, hey, if you do this as well, you may have similar results. Um, probably. I read a book. Uh, I read this book called, I think, gosh, I think it's called Why Clients Buy, but it might be How Clients Buy, but I think it's Why. Why Clients Buy. And uh, it was a solid book, but in it, it had this little section and they didn't give this little section what it deserved. You know what I mean? Like I, I learned this, but um, I learned that there are seven buying elements yeah. uh, that every person has to have. And if they have those things that they will buy. And I started looking through my business and realizing, are we providing these seven elements to a customer? And those elements are awareness, they need to be aware that your business exists. They need to have an interest in something that you do. They need to understand your business. And that's a big one. They need to understand, right? They need to have uh, belief, trust. They need to have an ability to make the purchase and they need readiness. They need to be ready to make the purchase. And what I started realizing was I didn't have those elements in place in a couple of sections in my business. And you, you absolutely have to, if somebody can't, if they don't know you exist, they can't buy. If they're not interested in what you do, they won't buy. But the next one is if they don't really understand how you help them, they won't buy. They need to know exactly what you do. And when you're in a service-based industry, especially, um, you feel like, well, if I tell them exactly what I do, then they'll just, 
not use me. They'll use, they'll, they'll steal. They'll take my ideas. They'll guys, that's not, that's not how, that's not the world, man. People don't have time to do everything for themselves. When you show them how good you are at something, and then you say, and here's the, what we charge for that. Some people mow their own lawn. Some people pay somebody to do it for them. Some people clean their own house. Some people pay people to do it for them. Some people re-roof their house if they know, but most people are going to pay somebody to do it for them. Mm -hmm. So when you get really good at what you do, my suggestion to you is tell people exactly how you do it. Tell them all the intricacies, tell them how it works, tell them how you learned, tell them everything. And then they go, yeah, I think I'll pay. And wait, you only charge for success. Yeah. We only charge for success. Then why would I go anywhere else? I'm going to use you. That's awesome. And that comes back to really knowing your business and having that abundance mindset of saying, mm -hmm. I'm not just going to do it in a whole. I'm not going to just do it by myself. I'm going to let other people know what I'm doing, why I'm doing it and how I'm doing it. And the more comfortable they are with understanding your level of competency, the easier it is for them to, to say, you know what, I will save that time frame uh, that would have taken for me to learn that thing and pay an yeah. expert that already has done the work. Absolutely. Now, Eric, now, most people aren't looking to save five or 600 bucks to spend hours and hours and hours learning something. That's, that's not a good fair trade-off. They go, wait, mm -hmm. I can, I don't want to spend hours and hours and hours doing that thing. Yeah. And we don't actually have the bandwidth to become an expert in every single thing. And right. some people don't even have the desire to become uh, right. an expert in those things. So you find someone that's competent and they are letting you know confidently that you can invest in what their service is. Yeah. It's a no brainer. And then I would say who, not how. Who? Oh, I love that. Yeah, Do you want to talk more to that point? Who, not how? Because I think that's a great, uh, a great yeah. topic. I love it as a business owner because I want to be your who, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be, when you say, Hey, I need business funding. I, great credit nerds. Uh, uh, you know what? I need credit repair. Great credit nerds. I, I want to be your who. Um, but when you're in business or, or as a consumer, but when you're in business, I have to figure out who can do that. Who can make that thing happen? Mm -hmm. Sometimes for me, the who is a computer, right? I can use automation. Sometimes the who is, you know, an, is an individual. Yeah. I have to, one example is if you're going to be disputing for credit or anything like that, you want to make sure to always dispute by mail. And I want you to handwrite the envelopes. It's a little bit of a silly thing, but the bureaus, when they see let labels on the envelopes, they tend to think that it comes from a credit repair agency and they're, they have the ability to send you out a, a special letter. Uh, and to get over that and to skip that, you handwrite the envelopes. But that means I have to have, am I going to sit and handwrite envelopes all day? No, I got somebody to do that. Right. Somebody that has a less a limited skill set in this industry, I can say, hey, but you still have a purpose here. I need you to handwrite 500 envelopes because we've got to send them out. I need you to do these these smaller, intricate tasks that are so important to the business. And then the business owner needs to remember that those are important tasks. Those aren't that's not a slave. That's an employee and they're a value to you. And you make sure to to compensate them because if you're constantly turning over employees, guys, if your thing is you're constantly having to find new people, it's your fault. It's That's your so fault. My, you know, if you take out my daughter who started working with us a few years ago, my, my daughter was 22. She turned 18 or 19 and she started working with us. But if you take her out, I've not hired an employee in seven years. 
our newest employee is Ariel and she's Ariel and Tabitha and they've both been with us for seven years. That's our newest employee. That's, that's allowing them to feel comfortable and supported and validated Yep, and that their job means something. Yeah. And that they are not their job. They're a person and their job, you know, our company understands that your job comes second to your kid's doctor's appointment. I don't need all of these notes and I don't need all of these, you know, like there's a silly video going around. I'm a millennial manager and I don't know. I don't care why you took off. I just, did you get your job done? It's a, the video's better, but, uh, but that's us. I'm like, I don't care why you took off. Did you get your work done? Did, can you get your work done? Yeah, I can, I can come in a little early tomorrow or I can, sounds great then. What does that have to do with me? I don't care where you do your job. I don't care really when you do your job. I just care that you did your job. And what that makes is it makes for people that, yeah, they may see a job down the road that pays them a dollar hour more, but people don't leave for a dollar, buddy. They don't leave your company for a dollar more. They leave your company for either A, their passion. We had an employee that left and I, we gave them, Stephanie and I gave them a, not a huge, but a thousand dollar quitting bonus. We gave them a thousand dollar quitting bonus because they were going to start their own company. And I was proud of them. That was Randy. I don't know if anybody remembers Randy that used to work with us. We, we adore Randy. Um, but Randy wanted started his own business. People leave stress and they leave struggle and they leave not feeling comfortable and not feeling confident. So if you'll just make sure that your employees know exactly what's expected of them, exactly what's okay and what's not okay, then they'll make the choice of, do I feel comfortable here? And if they do, they'll stay a very, very long time. If they don't feel comfortable, then they'll leave. So because you're such a great systems and process guy, uh, there's something in your class that always pops up. Like, can you read and do you follow directions? Yep. I think that is such since, a great... since recording my class, I have made one change. Oh, let's go. Go ahead. <laughs> the, the wording used to be, I always ask two questions. Can you read and can you follow directions? I don't mean to be rude, but do you have good high quality reading skills? Because that is something that you're going to need here. No mm-hmm. disrespect. I know people struggle, but here I need you to have really good high quality reading skills. That's my big, that's my big ask. Can you read? Can you follow directions? I've changed it. Will you read? Will you follow directions? (laughs) That's a good distinction. (laughs) Because a lot of times they can do it, but just won't. So it's, will you read the directions? Because I've taken the time to systemize everything and tell you exactly how to do it in your tasks and in the, in our SOPs. And in the, you know, when, when somebody gets tasked to do something, there's a specific set of steps that they follow. And if they will follow those steps, they'll be able to do it. Even as a brand new employee early on, we use a lot of scripts. We use a lot of like, don't expect your people to be experts in what you are. Expect them to be able to read and understand and follow directions. That's it. Otherwise, why don't you pay them the big bucks and let them be the owner? If they are the owner, then they should deserve to make what the owner makes. I don't expect my employees to be the owner. I expect them to be employees, which means my business comes second to them. If you're expecting your your employees to make your business be their top priority, you are sorely, sorely mistaken, my friend. Mm -hmm. They do not care about your business. They care about their families. And if you care about their families and them personally as well, then they will start to attach themselves to that business as long as it helps them serve their goals and dreams. 
Absolutely. So one of the other ideas that I, I think would be really helpful for, for our audience here is as you are, are creating your standard operating procedures, how do you make sure that uh, it doesn't get muddy? You, you recognize where the kinks are and some of those things that are broken. What, when you have a break in your system, how do you notice it so that it doesn't become, you know, a flood of horrible things happening? You, I have a very quick and specific answer. You ask your employees which part of their job they dislike the most. Yeah, that's a great. And you make sure that they feel safe. Hey, listen, I'm trying to fix stuff around here. I'm trying to fix problems around here. I'm not asking you, you know, I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I'm saying, what part do you hate doing the most? Because the part that they hate doing the most you'll find is something that's a little broken or it's confusing or it doesn't work quite the way that you would expect. And just remember that you may have been, you know, the designer of all of this, but your employees are the, the people doing it. Your employees are the people doing it. So if it's your business and you're a, you're a, you know, a solopreneur, then, then I want you to write down which parts do you hate doing the most? What is the part that you don't look forward to? And that's where you'll find your breaks. I love that. And how did you discover that? Because I think that's, that's wisdom talking. That's just, that's not just theory guys. That is definitely wisdom talking. How'd you discover what we that? did? We actually a while back, and this was three or four years ago. You know what? Maybe five. It was not today. That's when it was. <laughs> this was several years back, but we brought in, um, we actually brought in some cameras uh, and little GoPros in our office. And we told everybody, listen, nobody's in trouble. We're trying to fix stuff. And we put cameras at almost every station. And what we looked for was we looked for when people were, because we have, you know, I hate to say unlimited breaks, but if somebody needs to stand up and, and take a breather, go to the break room. If somebody needs to go to, like, you don't have to clock out, right? Like, it's not, it's not what we, it's not where we live. But what we would realize is that when people were doing the same types of job, that's when they would, all right, and they would get up and they would take a break or they would, their, their face would get real frustrated mm. or, so all we were doing was tracking the person with, with consent, mind you, everybody had knew that we were putting some cameras in and we would really just watch these and go, when are people getting frustrated? When are people struggling? What processes are taking the longest? And, um, you know, one of those things right now is there's some data. We switched to data furniture and the, the data has to be hand entered. And needless to say, everybody hates it. Of course they hate it. Hand entering data. Are you kidding me? So what I'm working with with my developers literally today is creating a automation to bring that data in automatically, because if I can have them click a button and pull that data in, now they go, oh, no problem. I'll get that data put in right away. But having to do all of this, why are they doing it? Not because it's the work. They know they're going to make mistakes. They're human beings. You ever typed something? You're going to make a mistake. You're going to accidentally hit a button wrong. You're going to accidentally hit the wrong number. You're going to accidentally maybe put something in the wrong field because we're human beings and they know that. And now the stress level of their job goes up because not only do they know they're going to make mistakes, they're trying extra hard not to make mistakes. And you only have so much mental fortitude each day. Mm. You notice how like if you have a really, really hard morning, you're like the end of the day, you're like, I'm done. I'm done today. I can't do any more. 
Yeah. Everybody has those things. So if I can get rid of little stressors, if I can get rid of that data entry, if I can get rid of this thing needing to happen, if I can get rid of these little pieces uh, and automate those, then my customer, excuse me, my employees don't have to stress over that. And now they're much more likely to be on the top of their game with a phone call, or they're much more likely to, you know, to uh, give better customer service because at the end of the day, we're all humans. Yeah. And I, I think that's really unique. You, you give that visual of you only have so much bandwidth. Yeah. And if we can have them utilize their bandwidth or use, utilize our bandwidth doing things that are the most highly valuable in our business, the business will grow. It'll thrive. Whereas if it, it's always hitched on something that is annoying and frustrating, like data entry that, you know, you're going to make mistakes, man, I can just imagine how frustrating yep. that is. It's a great discovery and though. People That's... leave frustration. Your employees leave frustration. They leave stress. Mm -hmm. They leave confusion. They leave a lack of confidence because who wants to feel like an idiot all day? Nobody. So yeah. don't make your customer or your employees feel like idiots, make them feel like they really know what they're doing. And the only way to do that is to tell them exactly what to do. Yeah. You tell them what to do. And then after they do it, you're like, did you do it? Great. Good job. Good job. And then, yeah. And validation. Yeah. Yep. I think that that's huge. Sometimes uh, that you'll recognize that people will write down a, a checklist item so that they can check it. Yep. That's it. Make the list check. I wish I, that one's on the wall, but I got a whole board up here. I write a lot of lists. I am a list person for sure. Um, the ADHD kicks in. If I don't have a list, I I've probably, if you're watching this podcast and you know me and we've interacted, I have probably forgotten to call you. I've probably, if, if it's just me, I'm a forgetter. So I do everything I can to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if that's one more final little point here is be aware, not only of what you're great at, but be a really good understanding or have a really good understanding of what you're bad at. And when you understand what you're bad at, you know yep. where to put your focus and go, hey, I'm bad at this. Stephanie's going to handle that. I'm bad at this. Karen's going to handle that. I'm bad at this. Randy's going to handle that. So understand what you're good at and understand what you're bad at. And when you're bad at it, either A, get better at it, or B, give that to somebody else to do. I think that's, that's true. So you live in your genius zone, yep. right? This thing where we have to be the best at everything, it, it's really toxic to a business grow, growing. Yeah. Because there are things that you will be able to do better than anybody else. And then there's some things that if somebody else can come in and do it 40 or 50% as good as you, if you have two or three people doing that now, they're suddenly doing the work better than you could. Absolutely. And that that's something that hiring new employees, how did you discover uh, when to hire a new employee? Because I mean, at some point there's like a, Oh, is it, is it worth getting that new employee and taking some of that stress off myself? Or am I doing this too early? How do you, how do you balance that? That's something that I do struggle with as well. Um, I'm really bad at letting someone go. Uh, yeah. having to the, having to fire somebody is, is very difficult for me. Uh, I hired a person, uh, to fire people. You know what I mean? Like I have, uh, that's what Karen, Karen, my office manager, Karen, uh, that's her job. Uh, that's a struggle that I have as well is really when to focus on, on hiring. And my, my answer it from, from my, from my learning phase, I just want to, uh, for our listeners, I just want you guys to hear that uh, I'm pretty confident about those other answers. This is a place where I struggle a little bit as well. 
But my answer for me is I seek out that info from my employees. Hmm. Do you have everything that you need to do your job? Uh, or is it time, you know, or do you need help? And we ask people, if you're not getting your job done, if, if you're not getting your job done, if you're not finishing your task list every day, there's only two reasons. And number one is you have too many tasks, right? Number one is you have too many tasks. And number two is you're just not doing the work. Mm. So either A, you got to fire somebody for not doing enough their job and replace them, or B, you need another person. And uh, right now I've got a person that that came to us and they said, I'm just not keeping up and I feel like it's me and I'm always behind on my tasks and, you know, what do I do? And our answer was, uh, you know what, I'm going to get those tasks covered for the next week. We gave her the week off. Uh, she'll still get paid. She's got a paid week off. And I said, I need you to reset. I need you to rest. And I need you to come back next week and tell me, was it you or was it the tasks? And if it was the tasks, let's get you some help. And if it was you and you just needed a rest, man, you're a human. Sometimes humans need rest. I saw Jared ask, what happens when you need to fire the person that, that does the firing? Man, I'm going to tell you right now, I can't fire Karen, dude. Karen will fire me first. Karen's been with us for uh, 11 uh, a little over 11 years now. And uh, man, you are right. What would happen? That would be a major blow to our business because she is ingrained at the level of, of very, very difficult to replace. Yeah. Well, I, I think that is true. When you have employees that have been there for years, not just months, and they've become ingrained with your customer service, they've become part of your business brand and your model, it's really hard to let people like that go, even and if they go and follow their passions, them. right? Like that. Pay them. Yeah. You want to ease people's stress, guys? Pay them. They have to have a job. They know they have to have a job. Everybody pretty much has to create income. Yeah. Pay them. Pay them a couple of dollars more than the person down the street's going to pay them. And when you do that, you'll keep them a long time. Yeah. A long, long time. That, that's a great point. Compensation is a, a huge key to making sure that you keep keep yep. those employees wanting to come back. Yeah. So we don't the silly joke about uh and, and it's a very corporate thing, but oh it's Christmas and we gave everybody a turkey. They already had a turkey, dude. They they want a bonus, they want money, they want, you know, like, well, how do I how do I, you know, really motivate my employees? Give it's money, give them money. They want money. That's what they want. They don't want a pizza party, they want money. They want you to pay them a dollar more. Give them a dollar raise, right? Love it. They want a dollar raise. They want a $2 raise. They want something like that. So when you give them a little bit of, um, of compensation and actually make them feel like they're worth something to you, then, uh, like I said, they just, they'll stay forever. I love it. Here, here's another thing that I think is, is awesome about you, Eric. You, you validate your people as well. You, you don't take the credit for everything, which is amazing. You, you say, hey, here's where credit's due. Like Karen, she's, yep. she's awesome. She's great at customer service. She, she lets you feel comfortable on the phone. I've talked to her multiple times. And I'm, I'm curious, how did you discover that superpower of being able to notice and give adulation and really compliment people when they do a great job? How do you develop that? Um, if you've taken our profits classes or if you've taken any of the drive stuff, um, my drive, uh, for those of you that know, is I'm a um, uh, validator intellectual. And a lot of times your, your primary drive, 
for me is validator is why you do stuff and your secondary drive, which for me is intellectual is how I do stuff. So I do a lot of what I do because I like being told I'm pretty and smart. That's the, you know, and you just start to own stuff. I didn't want to be a validator at first. I was like, ah, come on. I just want people to be nice to me and tell me that I did a good job. But I you look back through my life and that's been a lot of what I've, I've been on the stage since I was 12 and I'm just always, hey, mom, look at me, right? So I've always wanted that validation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get that through systems, building, learning, helping through my intellectual side. And good. part of being a validator is just, uh, so I hate to say I didn't learn this, but I just always knew what I would have wanted, which is somebody to tell me I'm doing a good job and somebody to, to have my back and then just pass that on to the people around me. Um, one thing you don't find, like, here's something you're not going to find Eric Counts doing is talking trash about somebody behind their back. It's, 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 you know, it's just not what we do. It's not what we do. So instead you focus on if something, if somebody's not somebody I don't like, well, then we just don't talk about that person. Uh, that person just doesn't exist. And instead I focus on what I do like, right? I focus on what I, what I do want to tell people and what I do want to share with them. So with my employees, I focus very heavily on what they're doing right. Because when I, when they do something wrong and I say, Hey, I would have handled this different. They go, Oh, okay. Because they know that that's the one-off. If the only thing you ever tell them is that they're doing bad, you're doing bad. And then a week later, you're doing bad. A week later, you're doing, you did something bad. And that's the only thing you tell them. Then eventually the week in between goes away and all they feel is bad, bad, bad. I'm a screw up. I messed it up. I'm not doing a good job. You know what? I'm not valued here. I'm going to go somewhere else. But if instead it's like, hey, great job on that. It takes two seconds. Hey, great job on that. Oh, way to go. Hey, we got, you know, you had seven signups today. Great job. Way to go then it's constantly good. So when something bad does happen, it's actually kind of jarring and they go, Oh, what, what did I do? And I'm like, yeah, you did this. And I'd really have handled it this other way. And they go, you got it. Because tomorrow they know that it's going to be back to what they're good at. You know, Hey, great job. So validate, validate your employees and compensate your employees. I, I love that. And that's something that I, I'm not a natural validator. So it's something that I, I love hearing how you came up with that idea. And then it's just, if I was going to be treated like that, that's how I could treat other people. Yep. Uh, it goes back to that platinum rule that, that Woody talks about. It's not, how do I want to be treated? It's how do they want to be treated? Yeah. It's really understanding the people that we deal with and communicating them in a way that they want to be communicated with. Yeah. Uh, Brigham, uh, you're muted for just a second. Oh, there we go. Sorry. I don't know how I hit the mute button, but uh, if you could give us one, one last uh, story or piece of advice that you're like, man, this is the reason why behind your company, why you do what you do. Is there, is there a driving force or is there something that you're like, this is my big share goal? Would you mind sharing that that with us and help us understand what what keeps you coming out? What keeps you going and doing these these challenging things in your business? Because you stick with it through thick and thin, even through COVID. You're like, man, this was I had the cushion, but without that why, that driven purpose behind what you do, 
we could give up so easily. We could quit. So what keeps you going? What keeps you moving forward? Um, this is going to be my worst answer. You ended on the worst one. Oh, shoot. Well, maybe I'll have to ask you a little more. Uh, the truth is um, I, am the, I am an internal validator. And I don't want to let my family down. I don't want to let others around me down. And mm. I don't want to fail. Yeah. And because a lot of it is, and, and guys own, own the things that you don't like to, I would love to say, Oh, it's because of this other thing, right? I, I would love it. it. Oh, I just have this major drive for this. The truth is, is I don't want to fail. Yeah. I don't want to fail. I don't care what it is. I don't want to fail. I want to learn how to do that thing. And I'll do the work that it takes to learn how to do that thing. And then I want to make, um, make that happen. And I don't want to fail. It is somewhat of a, of a personal, I just don't want to fail. And, um, and the only way to do that is to do all the steps that it takes. I love it. To do all the steps in the right order and then don't jump the Creek. Don't and jump the Creek. I love that. That's such a, a, a simple visual and it's so, so true. And thank you so much. I, I don't want to fail. I don't want you to fail. I don't, we don't want anybody to fail. Really. You think about it. Absolutely. Uh, the, the more we surround ourselves with people that are successful and on that path of progression, the more we get that energy and that excitement to say, you know what, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep doing what we need to do. We're going to build the bridges that need to be built to go from where we are to where we want to be, to create those dreams. Yep. So any final words, Eric, before we sign off? Cause I, man, I'm so grateful to have you on today. You're, you're pretty and you're awesome. Ah, yes. That's all I was looking for. No. You're funny, man. And uh, I'm just so grateful to have you on today. It was, it was a great opportunity to dive in a little bit more into your business. Yeah. Any final ideas or thoughts that you're like, man, this is something I wanted to share. Didn't get asked, asked that question yet. Go ahead. Think, spend more time thinking. Um, when we have those nights where you're laying there and we're in those existential dread and I'm a failure, we all have those, by the way, everybody has those, right? Oh, yeah. When you're, when you're in that moment, and you're thinking, oh, I'm a failure, or I'm this, or I'm that. Instead of thinking about how you are that thing, how do I not be that thing then? So mm -hmm. I just switch that mindset over. And I, I try not to live in super the new agey of mindset and all that, but it is true, right? Because you have to control your thoughts because what you focus on becomes. And if I'm going to focus on being a failure, then I'm going to be one. So when I'm having that moment of, oh, gosh, I'm struggling. I don't think about, well, I'm struggling. Oh man, how, I'm struggling. I immediately turn that thought into, well, why am I struggling? And how, what could I do different to not be struggling? And guys, so many of us are, are good at figuring out what we should do different, but then not acting. You know, here's what I'm gonna leave you with. And I'm gonna talk directly to the camera for a second. You know something that you should be doing in your business that you are not doing. You're uncomfortable with it, or you're maybe not quite fully understanding how to do it just yet, and you're not taking the time to learn it, you know something in your business that you are supposed to be doing different or better that you haven't acted on yet. Do that thing. Man, that is so true. What's the big domino? What's the thing that you know already? Because you've had those little pings in the back of your head saying, oh, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. And then you should all over yourself, right? Exactly. <laughs> should S H O U L D. But guys, it's so true. We, we have those inclinations because 
we're smarter than we give ourselves credit for at times. Absolutely. We actually think through those problems. I had a mission president that brought this up with me. He's like, if you have a temptation or there's something that you're like, oh, I really want to do this. You did not just think, what would happen if I did that? You could also think, what would happen if I didn't do that? And then you can say, let's go all the way through the consequences. If we did this, here's the consequences. Now, what do those consequences look like? We, we can think through a lot of those choices before we even do them. Yep. And that's, that's the value that Eric just shared there. What if you did something that, that would change your whole business? Like those little, you know, little email, Hey, just keep it in touch with you. Want to say hi, dot, dot, dot. Hi people. There's a, and, and I, I saw this on a Facebook meme. So, okay. Uh, but we look and we think about like time travel and we go back, right? They think, oh, I could go back in time and I could change this little thing and it would completely change my life, right? And we all know that to be true, that, that the concept of the butterfly effect, you know, one little thing in the past could completely change your life. But nobody will sit here today and go, you know what? Today may be the day of the one little change. So why don't you just make today be the past make that one little change and think about how big that one little thing that you chose to do today could have been for you. So imagine 10 years from now, when you look back and go, man, I'm so glad I did that one little thing because that's what got me where I'm at. Why is it that we're so quick to think about going in the past today could branch your life to just as easy. Love it. You just hot tub time machined us. That's yep. so good. <laughs> back to the future. And this is that power of thinking. You think all the way through, into the future. What if today was the day? Yeah. And then make it today the day. I, I love it. Well, Eric, thank you so much for your time, your energy, your effort into to pouring into our, our community. Love you with bottom of the bottom of the heart. So grateful to have you on today. And guys, uh, thank you for being on and hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. God bless everybody.